PTJ podcasts are made possible by the American Physical Therapy Association. This podcast is sponsored by Healthcare Providers Service Organization. HIPSO is the number one provider of professional liability insurance for physical therapy and rehabilitation group practices with over 1 million allied healthcare workers insured. Visit www.hpso.com for more information. I get a little frustrated when I read the literature because the hip is so rarely tested, and I think it's because of the measurement issues. We don't have a great way yet of measuring the hip. So they really have to rely on their ankle, plantar flexor and dorsiflexor strength to be able to counteract any perturbations that they might have. I really like the idea of asking a simple question and saying, maybe we've missed a whole group of people who we can do something about. Welcome to this PTJ discussion podcast. Why do some older adults have difficulty with stooping, crouching, or kneeling? This discussion is based on a provocative paper from the January 2010 issue of PTJ, which found self-reported stooping, crouching, or kneeling difficulty in older adults correlated with muscle weakness in the trunk and lower extremities. Lead author Manuel Hernandez discusses these findings with Dr. Dale Avers and our moderator, PTJ editorial board member, Dr. Kate Mangione. And now... Kate Mangione. Hello. The January 2010 issue of Physical Therapy contained a paper entitled Strength and Stooping, Crouching or Kneeling Difficulty in Older Adults. It was written by Hernandez, Goldberg, and Alexander. This observational study examined muscle strength differences in older adults who report having difficulty with stooping, crouching, or kneeling compared to older adults who don't report such difficulties. The study also examined the relative contribution of the trunk, hip, knee, and ankle muscles to stooping, crouching, and kneeling difficulty. This topic is important to physical therapist practice as it represents our attempt to understand the relationship between function and impairment. Let's introduce the participants now. We are very pleased to have the primary author of the paper with us today. Mr. Manuel Hernandez is currently a PhD candidate in the Department of Biomedical Engineering at the Mobility Research Center at the University of Michigan. He hopes to graduate this spring. Are you still hoping for that, Manny? Still hoping for that. (laughs) Okay, good. Our other participant is Dr. Dale Avers. She is an associate professor at Upstate University in Syracuse, New York. Dr. Avers' interests are exploring the effectiveness of exercise interventions for preventing mobility disability in aging adults. She is the director of the post-professional DPT program and is the past president of the section on geriatrics. Dale is a well-known speaker among physical therapists who work with older adults. Welcome, Dale. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for asking me. So let's just start right in with this conversation. I'd like to start with a basic operational definition of stooping, crouching, and kneeling. I'm a very visual person, and when I read this article, I tried to figure out what are the differences in these activities. And so, Manny, could you describe what somebody does when they do stooping, crouching, and kneeling? Because I'm not sure everyone has the same definition of those. Yes, of course. Stooping, for one is more of what you would consider to be a backlift, either picking up an object or going all the way to the ground. You actually have to use your back a little bit more. So it usually requires a lot of range of motion in the hip and the trunk, whereas the crouch and the kneel actually requires a lot more knee range of motion and flexion. So with crouching, it's usually called either the crouch or the knee bend strategy, and kneeling would be when you actually kneel down and actually use an expanded base of support where you have a knee touching on the ground. 
Great. So we have some idea of what these motions are. And tell me, when are they doing these particular activities? I guess just for starters, there's many instances during the day, let's say doing groceries or tying their shoes or doing laundry. So they just do crouch or kneel to be able to maneuver their body all the way to the ground so they could carry out some sort of task. And Kate, I was also thinking about getting up and down off of the floor might involve crouching and stooping as well as certainly yard work, maybe church activities, those kinds of things. From both of you, it sounds like we're talking about higher level IADLs. So the relationship between stooping, crouching, and kneeling and ADLs and IADLs, we're thinking that those are similar kinds of activities? Correct. Yes, that's exactly. I definitely agree that they are higher level activities because I think many older adults are probably going to adapt to less strenuous kinds of activities. Dale, I'm wondering if I could throw a question towards you, saying you're so familiar with many of the performance-based tests, be they balance or just functional performance. And I'm wondering, do you see these activities, stooping, crouching, kneeling, as being integral to performing these tests? Or do you think we have some new constructs here that should be considered and are not? Kate, I think that's a great question. And this really caused me to think about what we're evaluating in functional tests. These are high-level tasks, and I don't believe that we have many functional tools that have these constructs. I think one of the closest is the continuous scale physical functional performance test by Kress, and it only has one or two tasks that might qualify for needing crouching and stooping. On the other hand, the timed floor rise, which is gaining more popularity because we know it's so critical for older adults to be able to get up off of the floor, might be one of the best ways of measuring the ability of being able to crouch or kneel or stoop. So floor rise is probably my top pick for a test that might represent these three tasks. Then we should have a measure that should be looking at something like this. We need to have more high-level measures, but... You know, the other issue, though, is that, as I'm sure you feel, I don't want to dictate how people accomplish their tasks. So as we both know, when you don't have the motion or the strength to be able to crouch or to stoop, they're going to bend over with their back. Now, that may not be the best thing to do, especially with someone with osteoporosis, for example, but that is how they're going to be able to do it. So I think that may be one of the reasons we're not really physically measuring those three tasks because adaptations tend to, we just have somebody pick something up off the floor and we don't dictate how they do it. That's a good point. And I, I noticed that if we think about the methods that they used in the paper, Manny, it was just whatever the person defined as stooping, crouching, and kneeling is what was the measure, right? It's just a self-reported item. Right, correct. So it's very general. We didn't want to get into the specifics of actually defining this because for the most part, these are activities that people do in their own way. And we left it in general terms for everybody to interpret. Manny, can I ask a point of clarification? As I understand it, you asked if someone could do all three tasks in the same question. They did not differentiate between I can't kneel, but I can squat. Is that correct? The question is if they're able to do crouch or kneel. We kept the three items lumped together because that's what's being used on the EPI scale. I see. Thank you. Okay. Let's move on to testing. Um, I have to applaud you, Manny, you and your colleagues for measuring a wide variety of muscle groups, just not the quadriceps as we normally see. And I think one of the innovative features of your study was that you measured trunk extension and hip extension strength. I'm wondering if you could describe how you measured hip extension, because that to me was the really different way of measuring hip strength. Yes. 
um, there was a paper back in 2004 by a colleague, Dr. Dean, who's now moved on away from Michigan. He developed a custom-built metal frame, which we ended up utilizing in our hip testing. What it consists of is a frame pretty much like a cage that provided support for the arms and the back for a participant to be standing upright, and we then brace the leg right around the knee so it would be as stiff as possible. That way we could try to make sure that individuals wouldn't be inadvertently kicking to be able to assist the type of torque that they could generate. They were standing on a small platform, so they were raised from the floor about three inches or so. And then from there, they were able to freely swing their dominant leg, which was the one that we tested. Also, we were relying on a biodex, um, isokinetic dynamometer, to be able to do these calculations. Mm-hmm. Dale, do you use unilateral stance exercises? I'm assuming you do. I and do. <laughs> when, when you're doing, and do you do resist it with the leg that's in the air? Kind yes. of like what they're saying in a sense? Yes, but to overload the stance leg. So it's interesting because, right, it's somehow, yeah. it, you didn't have a force plate underneath that stance leg, did you? No. Yeah, that would have been awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been great. Because yeah. it, it, it was all of a sudden, I'm thinking about one leg is stabilizing, and is that truly doing more work than the leg that's actually just kind of pushing back freestyle? Right. And this is just clinical anecdote. It does seem that it puts more effort on the stance leg, that that's where people complain because they're a little surprised going, wow, that really hurts the leg I'm standing on that first feels. <laughs> right. I, so it's I a little too. strategy. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things actually we noticed is that they weren't able to do this for too long. We wanted to try to alleviate any sort of stress that they might be having by standing one leg for such a long period of time. And so immediately after the couple of seconds that they were testing, so it was five seconds and three seconds of this pushing, they were fully supported on their feet so they could and back, but it's something that seems to be very difficult for some adults to do. Oh, yes, that's for sure. And what the ideal measurement is, I think, probably still remains to be seen for hip extension, at least until we can support the person or something, put them in one of those body weight support harnesses and then have them push back. Who knows? Kate, this is Dale. I I think that's such an excellent point. I get a little frustrated when I read the literature because the hip is so rarely tested, and I think it's because of the measurement issues. We don't have a great way yet of measuring the hip. So this really points out the need for uh, trying to standardize and validate those hip measurements so that they're meaningful in the clinic. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I, I really like the idea of it in standing, but there are still obviously limitations when you have somebody, first of all, who can stand on one leg and then the amount of force and balance that's needed to generate force in the other leg. So since we're talking about isometric tests and static force, I'm wondering what you think the relationship is between isometric force and some of the balance tests that you did and perhaps even static force or isometric force and falls. So one of the questions that I was thinking about this, you know, we identified during self-reported stooping, crouching, kneeling difficulty that individuals tended to have poor ankle plantar flexor strength or normalized knee extensor strength. There's a lot of instances where I could see how that could be a limiting factor. For example, when people are stooping, they have a very limited motion on their knee since that's almost locked and their hip since that's almost at the full extension. And so they really have to rely on their ankle, plantar flexor and dorsiflexor strength to be able to counteract any perturbations that they might have. And this is true for a lot of other balances. For example, you know, stands, you're kind of relying on your ankle to be able to provide any type of corrections to maintain balance. 
Do you think isometric force would be the strongest relationship, or do you think a, a dynamic force or perhaps rate of force development, either statically or through a power measurement, would show a stronger relationship with these balance tests? That's a really good question. Uh, I would actually imagine that once we move away from isometric, from the static tests, we should have stronger correlations with the more dynamic tests because during daily activities, we're actually moving. So right. we would imagine those more dynamic measurements would provide better information. And yeah, I think that the rate of torque development would be one of those key factors because sometimes it doesn't matter how much strength you have. It's just a matter of being able to elicit that strength or being able to generate that power quickly enough to be able to offset a loss of balance or an impending fall. And people are not moving in, in the sagittal plane. People are really moving in diagonals or some variation thereof. And so generating torque off center, I don't think we can measure that at all, but I think that would have to be a piece of this puzzle that remains unexplained. Absolutely. Let me ask Manny, Eb, you made a recommendation at the end of the study that we really strengthen distal muscles for people with stooping, crouching, and kneeling difficulties. And I'm wondering, did you really mean to delimit it that if they have those problems, we only need to be strengthening distal muscles? That was just a curious recommendation to me, and I'd like you to comment on that if you could, please. Okay. Yeah. So we're not saying that that should be the only thing to focus on. When we're looking to address the being crushing kneeling difficulty in older adults, we should take a look at a more comprehensive strategy. And this should be expanded to include balance, confidence, and coordination, and really a whole gauntlet of items. Because uh, stooping, crouching, kneeling, once again, it's, it's pretty complex. And there's a lot of items that go into the performance of this task, which we didn't have the chance to cover. Thank you. Dale, let me just ask you, what do you think? I just kind of came up with this. What do you think if we would use the question, just like it's written in the EPI studies, to say stooping, crouching, yielding difficulty, if that should be part of our systems review? Do you think that that's providing some new information that we as physical therapists could easily ask, and that might be as good a screen for lower extremity strength loss as doing a quick manual muscle test? Kate, that's a great question. It's kind of provocative. You know, I always worry about just asking those questions because I think older adults can overestimate what they're doing or what they think they can do. But I do think that it's a valid question to put on a system screen. Here at our university, we ask people to take their shoe on and off. And it's a simple task, but we get to see how they actually move. And that's been more valuable than just asking them, can you do it? Perhaps even just having someone squat down during a system screen can help highlight some issues that might need to be addressed. I think certainly asking the question might give us more information. I searched PTJ archives to look for stooping, crouching, and kneeling to see if it's ever appeared in our journal before because I was just kind of curious. And I did find one article back in 2005 by Freeberger and Holmes, which they used a Medicare sample of 38,000 beneficiaries. And the average difficulty with stooping, crouching, and kneeling was somewhere between I have a little difficulty and I have some difficulty. And noting that you had difficulty with stooping, crouching, and kneeling was associated with increased odds of needing and receiving physical therapy services. I really like the idea of asking a simple question and saying, maybe we've missed a whole group of people who we can do something about. I think that's an excellent point, and with that kind of association, it does point to the need that we need to have higher expectations for physical activity with older adults. And so asking that question as if we expected them to be able to do those tasks is an important construct to include. And do either of you have any of the last comments that you'd like to make? Really, I guess one of the last things 
at first, when I came in as a newly minted grad student, I was really interested in aging and the trunk. And so this kind of drove me to look at these paths since it was pretty available in some of these questionnaires. And there's such a large proportion of our population of older adults that have difficulty doing this very simple task. And hopefully further studies of stooping, crouching, and will be able to provide a little bit more of the rationale between why this task is so important in identifying those that are at higher risk of falls. Manny, I applaud you for bringing this to physical therapists' attention. I think it's a very interesting paper that's as provocative with what it suggests as much as what it says. So I thank you, and I encourage you to do similar kinds of research. Well, thank you very much, and Manny, I hope you will do some collaborative research with physical therapists throughout your career. And I thank you both for being on this call today. Thank you, Kate. Thank you, Kate. Thanks for listening. Send us your comments or suggestions about this or other PTJ podcasts via email ptj at scienceaudio.net or voicemail 626-593-7825. This has been a production of Science Audio, online at www.scienceaudio.net.